Warning, the following episode of FW Presents gets vulgar and political pretty fast. Maybe don't play this episode at work or around the family unless you've got a really good pair of earbuds. Black Panther, T'Challa himself, and all of Wakanda, is one of the most unique, interesting, fascinating, and integral characters in the entire comics history. We want him to become that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe history. I waited my entire life for this. This is your time. Wakanda what? Hear what I say, we are the business today Fuck shit is finished today RT and J, we the new PB and J We dropped the classic today We did a tablet of acid today The joints with the matches and ashes away We dash away, Donna and Dixon The pistol is rattling away Doctors of death, killing our patients of breath We are the pain you can trust Fuck it at work, hooking up curses and slurs Smoking my brain in a mush I became famous for blaming you fuck Maiming my way through the brush There was no training or taming of me and my bro Live like a man, but I'm animal raw. We are the murderous pair. That with the jail, and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have powder to push. Now I smoke pounds of the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Step into the spotlight. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Fire and Water Presents. I'm Ryan Daly, and later this month, one of my favorite superheroes will star in his very own feature film. Marvel's Black Panther drops on February 16th, a perfect gift for Valentine's weekend. And speaking of perfect Valentines, please join me and welcome the host of the Marvel Superheroes podcast and the World Spine Network, Diablo Frank. What's up, Frank? I actually, whenever I, I get introduced on one of these shows, I'm expecting like the hissing and boos, like the heel on a wrestling uh, match. So, you know, get, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> I'll oh, add that in post. Stop that guy, boo. <laughs> You're the villain. You're the villain. Uh, so in a little bit, Frank and I are going to talk about a Black Panther story. This sort of loosely titled Black Panther versus the Clan. The story began in the pages of Jungle Action issue 19 and ended four years later in Marvel Premiere 53. But before we get into the comics, I wanted to talk a little bit about the inspiration for this episode. I just said that Black Panther is one of my favorite heroes, so I shouldn't need any extra incentive to talk about him on a podcast. But I never expected that I would have any real urgency to do one. Until last August, when a bunch of uppity, privileged, Black-hating, Jew-hating, you-name-it-hating, garbage-spewing white supremacists took to the streets of Charlottesville, Virginia, with torches in their hands and poison in their hearts. Their hate-mongering circle-jerk rally resulted in days of protesting, counter-protesting, violence, property damage, the deaths of two Virginia state troopers, and the murder of a 32-year-old woman named Heather Heyer, as well as the attempted murder of countless others. On the day after Heather Heyer was mowed down by a white nationalist in his car, so-called President Donald Trump condemned the actions of both sides equally, that is, the actions of the neo-Nazi Klan members and the people who oppose Nazis and Klan members. He condemned them both equally. Later, the so-called president doubled down on his remarks, saying they were violent people on both sides, and claiming that not all of the people who attended the white nationalist rally were white nationalists. Some of them were fine people, just there to honor the statue of a racist hero. Ah, before I segue to Black Panther, Frank, do you have any words on the Charlottesville protests and their aftermath? 
a reckoning is going to come. <laughs> Fuck, um, I hope so. 2018 is going to have to be a better year. And I think that we uh, just have to make sure that force 2018 to be a better year, especially sometime around November. Yeah, I, I really hope so. Okay, so what does this have to do with Black Panther? Well, I am a big old libtard, but I live too far away from Charlottesville and Washington to do anything really productive at that moment. So I took to social media to see pictures of my heroes fighting Nazis. For my part, I posted a scan of Black Panther breaking the Red Skull's jaw from an issue of The Avengers. Then I remembered this storyline from the comics, where Black Panther fights members of the Ku Klux Klan... And I really wanted to do a podcast covering this story, but last summer was a particularly busy time in my personal life, so I decided to delay this show until February 2018, the month that Black Panther's movie arrives in theaters. Which brings us to this here now. The storyline Black Panther vs. the Klan takes place in the United States rather than the Panther's homeland of Wakanda. And before we dive into the story, Frank, I was just I, I've always kind of been interested in what effect do you think operating in the U.S. has on Black Panther? And not really counting his time with the Avengers, because he's part of an ensemble, but in terms of solo stories, his time in the U.S., how does that change sort of fundamentally who he is, or does it change him? Well, it's kind of a tricky question. I don't think Black Panther fundamentally changes, but I do think that the way writers approach him is quite a bit different when he's operating in the United States. Uh, specifically, it seems like uh, writers decide that they want to write Daredevil all of a sudden. <laughs> and that was the case going back to the 60s, going back to Roy Thomas and company, is basically he would just become Daredevil to, to a large degree. He would have different mannerisms. Uh, sometimes they would bring in quote-unquote African elements to it. But for the most part, he was just Daredevil. And he even appeared in Daredevil comics a fair few times in that period and it really it took mm-hmm. until at least the 90s, I would say, before that sort of started happening. If you didn't tell a story about Black Panther in Wakanda or basically as long as you, he's outside of the United States, you can get a different kind of story. But as soon as he turns up in the States, he's just treated as a street level acrobatic. And it's just very disappointing. It's, it's very hard to go back and read those stories, especially in hindsight after seeing what the character is capable of being. Or even in foresight, if you read the very first Black Panther stories and see what an incredible dynamic figure he was. And to see him just become another you know guy who could be like extant to the Batman family, it, it's very disappointing. Well, I think there's no more evidence of that than seven or eight years ago, Black Panther took over the Daredevil book, like right around the time of like the Daredevil, like Shadowland thing, when it became Black Panther, like with Man Without Fear or something, he like took over that numbering, and they actually wrote it into the story that T'Challa was now the hero of Hell's Kitchen, which... I, I read most of that story arc because um, the art was by Francesco Francavia, who's one of my favorites. I think it was written by David Liss, and it was a really cool urban crime noir type of vigilante story. But the entire time I'm reading it, I'm thinking this shouldn't be a Black Panther story. I mean, you're doing a really good job of making this interesting, but you're breaking the premise. Like, this shouldn't be Black Panther. It should be Daredevil. Actually, it would have been a really cool White Tiger story um, with either the original White Tiger or one of the, the legacy versions that have followed with um, since then with one of like the female White Tigers. Could have been really cool that way. But, yeah, I mean, at that point, like, yeah, he has been treated a lot like Daredevil. That's a case where they actually just put him in Daredevil's book, literally. Well, it, it doesn't help, too. If I remember correctly, that was after Shadowland, right? 
yeah, that was I think that was the impetus where Daredevil had to kind of go away. So yeah, yeah. So literally, he had to be rendered so toxic that Marvel just completely benched the character and then just sort of shoved Black Panther into his role just to say, hey, look what we're doing. We still got Black Panthers out there, right? He's <laughs> taking over a book that's been run aground by the previous creative team. That's uh, again, disappointing. That, I mean, that's how it has been done traditionally up to this point. I'm wondering, is there a place for him as a stateside hero? Can you? Is there a better option, I guess? It, well, I, it, it's been illustrated. I, I think that if you go and you look at the Christopher Priest series, mm-hmm. most of the best material from that run takes place in the United States. It's mm-hmm. political mm-hmm. intrigue. It's uh, definitely, you see Black Panther doing the kind of stuff that somebody like Batman or Devil would do, but then he does something entirely different, something that was completely outside of their scope. And then you're like, oh, this is who Black Panther is supposed to be. This is what Black Panther is supposed to do. I, I do think that the series kind of lost its way, actually, when it moved more into Wakanda. I don't think that Christopher Priest had a strong of a grasp of what to do with the Panther outside of the United States as he did within. So I honestly, I think it comes down to the writer and the perspective. Uh, how are you going to approach this? Are you going to turn Black Panther into a poor man's daredevil? Or are you going to figure out what makes him a distinctive character and make him stand out within the context of a universe of heroes? If you've got Black Panther in New York, if he can't stand apart from them, then he doesn't deserve any special attention. The fact that he's shown that he can with the right creative team means that it's a matter of his creator stepping up, not any fault in the character himself. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I, just even as you're even as you're saying it, I'm kind of thinking like I'm making a comparison, and it's not a one to one, obviously, but almost to to Wonder Woman in terms of being a sort of foreign foreign born ambassador operating on U.S. soil in that way, and certainly like with uh, more of a post-crisis take with uh, the Perez run, and I guess later like with like Greg Rook and some of the other ones of having uh, dignitary, like a sort of royal status to Wonder Woman, if, if treating Black Panther that way, it seems to be a connection. I think that's, that's the way Priest was handling him for a little bit, um, definitely delving more into the, the intrigue and a little bit more of the espionage aspects than the the more fantastical superhero stuff, even though Mephisto was a big part of that first arc. Yeah. And and that's the funny thing too, is even if you put Wonder Woman and Black Panther in the same room, Wonder Woman is a princess and I think she enjoys being a princess and she's princess Diana. And I think she kind of operates in a similar sense as England's princess Diana. Mm -hmm. She doesn't really want to rule. She doesn't want to get involved in the politics. She wants to do the humanitarian stuff. She wants to use her role to make lives better for people. Where Black Panther is a king, and you know he's a king. There's no when he's written correctly. There's no ambiguity about that, and it's extremely interesting to watch one individual with the resources, with the intellect of Panther, to literally go up against the entire United States government at some points in his series. That's a power fantasy, and he's a guy who is powerful enough to bring that fantasy and to actually seem formidable when going up against the entirety of other world forces. This is a guy who, when he's handled correctly, he's looking down at guys like you know dr doom and submariner he is not somebody to be trifled with and it's interesting because so many characters in comic books do have some sort of position who are royalty if the crown sits poorly upon their heads you can tell that that's not where they're supposed to be then they're supposed to be having adventures and being superheroes and like where i really do think that when handled correctly black panther is a king first and everything else second and he actually makes that extremely interesting. It's not a situation where you're just waiting for this stupid political stuff to get out of the way so you can get into the cool slap, punch, kick stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it, To a large degree, I think he's at his best when he's got a strong political element, when there is a lot of you know pieces being played, when he's playing chess. 
Uh, I don't know if there's any other superheroes really like mainstream that can do that kind of stuff. They can do those, play those kind of Machiavellian games. They can go big and, and intellectual and still have it be exciting the way that it is with Black Panther. I mean, you name dropped Machiavelli, and that's one of my favorite aspects of the character, especially evident during the priest run, was just how how much of a gamesman he was and how, how much he controlled the board. Um, and it's still one of my favorite descriptors for the character, and I can't remember what issue it was, but it was during that run when, when somebody was describing, I think it was Ross was describing him to Chawat, and he's like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't think like other people. He thinks like a mob boss, you know, Michael Corleone type of thing, the way he strategies. Everybody is a potential enemy, uh, and it's not like a, a Batman thing, although, I mean, I think you've, you've made the point on your own podcast that the modern idea of Batman is based a lot more on the 60s Black Panther than it is the 60s Batman. So I, I've always liked that idea, that intrigue, that um, he, he's not American, he is foreign, he is exotic, he doesn't think the way we expect him to. Um, and and he's, he's from a culture that values secrecy and is suspicious and is proud. And, and I think all that makes for a very interesting character when he gets involved, so... How much of that are we going to see in the story Black Panther vs. the Clan? Well, okay, people, hold on to something as I take you through the extended saga. Brace yourselves. Step into the spotlight. Before I go on, just a heads up. All of the dates I'm using in this summary are the cover dates for various issues, not the on-sale dates. So... In September 1973, writer Don McGregor began writing New Adventures of the Black Panther in Jungle Action, Issue 6. This was, I believe, the first time T'Challa was getting his own solo adventures that weren't part of Fantastic Four, Captain America, The Avengers, or other heroes. Rich Buckler started out as the artist on the saga that would be called Panther's Rage, but by Jungle Action number 10, Billy Graham, who is definitely not the televangelist, came aboard as the regular artist. Panther's Rage finally wrapped up in Jungle Action 18 in November 1975. With the following issue, Jungle Action 19, cover dated January 1976, McGregor and Graham began their second major arc, Black Panther vs. the Klan. T'Challa comes to Georgia with his girlfriend, Monica Lynn, whose sister Angela was recently murdered. At the cemetery, Monica is attacked by members of the Cult of the Dragon Circle, who look like the Ku Klux Klan, except their robes are blue. The Black Panther saves Monica, and they meet Kevin Trueblood, a white-ass reporter investigating Monica's sister's death. They take the captured Dragon Circle guys to the honky sheriff, Tate, who isn't very helpful. What they learn is the Dragon Circle is most definitely not affiliated with the Klan. For one thing, one of the Dragon Circle guys is black. That night, as T'Challa and Monica talk to her parents, both the Dragon Circle and the KKK launch separate but simultaneous attacks on the Lin household. Black Panther fights them off. In Jungle Action 20, Black Panther and Monica go to a supermarket where she is attacked by two men. Panther fights them off after overhearing their talk about a clan rally that night. The cops show up and attack Black Panther. Even an old woman at the market lashes out at him. Sheriff Tate breaks it up. That night, Black Panther attacks the Klan rally, but he's overwhelmed by their numbers and tied to a stake. Meanwhile, Kevin Trueblood tells Monica that he's willing to fight for the truth, even if people don't want him writing about corruption. In Jungle Action 21, Monica and Kevin Trueblood deliver a ton of expository dialogue to recap the story and develop their characters. Meanwhile, T'Challa wakes up tied to a burning cross. 
He breaks free and manages to escape from the clan, fleeing into the swamp. The others rescue him and take him to a hospital to recover. Black Panther checks himself out two weeks later when he learns of another clan rally that night. Kevin Trueblood condemns the clan leader for corrupting the sign of the cross. Black Panther saves Kevin from being shot, and then Monica's dad saves Black Panther. In Jungle Action 22, T'Challa, Monica, and Kevin Trueblood eat dinner with the Lins. Monica's mother tells them the story of her ancestor Caleb's first encounter with the clan after the Civil War. Caleb was harassed, couldn't get justice from the Freedman's Bureau, and is eventually hanged by a clan member called the Soul Strangler, who wears red robes and purports to be the ghost of a Confederate soldier. Monica listens to this story for the umpteenth time, but now imagines how differently the events would have played out if Black Panther had been there in the 1800s. Parallel stories with different details, panel borders, and Caleb's physique changes in Monica's mind. Jungle Action 23 was a reprint of Black Panther's appearance in Daredevil 69, so it has nothing to do with this story. Which brings us to Jungle Action 24 from November 1976. Black Panther, Monica Lynn, and Kevin Trueblood talk to Angela's boyfriend, who says he saw her murder but didn't see the killer. The trio goes to a private country club to talk to Angela's boss. T'Challa is attacked and captured by Wind Eagle, an agent of the Dragon Circle and a man of Dominican heritage. They chain Black Panther to a water wheel, but he breaks free. He faces off with Wind Eagle, but the story is left on a cliffhanger because jungle action was cancelled with this issue. Two months later, January 1977, Jack Kirby launched a brand new self-titled Black Panther series. Kirby ignored the previous stories from Jungle Action and did his own thing, which was weird even by Jack Kirby in the 1970s standards. He lasted on Black Panther until issue 12. After The King left, Ed Hannigan and Jerry Bingham took over with issue 13 in January 1979. In issues 14 and 15, they started to address the unresolved Don McGregor plot from Jungle Action by bringing back Monica Lynn and Kevin Trueblood, having them look for Black Panther. They didn't get far, however, because Black Panther was cancelled with issue 15, May 1979. The editor, Roger Stern, gave Hannigan and Bingham another shot to finally wrap up the story in three issues of Marvel Premiere, starting with issue 51 in December 1979. The story begins with Black Panther arriving at the Wakandan Embassy in New York when he's attacked by Wind Eagle. Wind Eagle is captured, but Black Panther seems to have no memory of the man, nor does he remember Monica Lynn and Kevin Trueblood when they show up to talk to him. Monica recaps the first five chapters of the Black Panther vs. the Klan story arc, which ended on a cliffhanger over three years ago. As Monica tells the story, T'Challa starts to remember the events, which raises the question of why is there a big gap in his memory. Then Wind Eagle escapes and attacks again. Black Panther fights him in the skies over New York, but when it becomes obvious that Wind Eagle is outmatched, an unidentified sniper shoots him dead. In Marvel premiere number 52, cover dated February 1980, T'Challa and his ensemble learn the story of Wind Eagle from the cops. He was a poor street kid named Hector Ruiz who fell to crime until he was taken in and eventually brainwashed by the Dragon Circle cult. Leaving the police station, Black Panther observes a car following them. His driver, Magari, leads the other car on a high-speed chase through the city, ending at the lumberyard. 
the combined efforts of Black Panther, Taku, and Kevin Trueblood disarm their attackers, but one of them is shot by the same anonymous sniper who murdered Windeagle. The dying man reveals he was part of the Ku Klux Klan. That night, Black Panther spies on a secret clan rally. The Grand Wizard's sermon reveals that the KKK is at war with the Dragon Circle, a clan offshoot led by the traitorous Reverend Addison. At that point, the doors blow open and the red-robed Soul Strangler rides in on horseback. He tells the clan he is their champion, and to prove it, he attacks Black Panther, whom he saw hiding in the rafters. T'Challa fights back, but the Soul Strangler vanishes as if a ghost. Black Panther fights the few remaining clan members who didn't scatter. Later, T'Challa leads the rest of the party back down south, telling them he knows who killed Monica's sister and why. Which leads us, finally, to the conclusion in Marvel premiere number 53, from April 1980. And, hoo boy! Black Panther recalls being captured by the cult of the Dragon Circle back in Jungle Action 24, but before they tied him to a water wheel, they tried to brainwash him so he'd work for them. That part failed, but they did blot out any memory he had of the cult in his time in Georgia, sorta kinda explaining how he abruptly went on to new adventures when Jack Kirby started the Black Panther series. Anyway, T'Challa puts the pieces together that the Dragon Circle cult led by Reverend Addison had Angela Lynn killed by her boyfriend, the same sniper who killed Wind Eagle because Angela got close to the cult's real estate schemes. That night, the Dragon Circle holds a rally in the swamp, but they're attacked by the KKK, who outnumber and outgun them. Members of the clan capture Reverend Addison and put him on a boat to murder him in the bayou. Black Panther follows them. The boat floats through an eerie fog and comes out on the banks of a spectral plantation and the ghosts of long-dead slaves. The slaves aren't the only ghosts, however. The Soul Strangler appears and attacks, but Black Panther fights the Red Ghost and seems to drown it in the swamp. The other ghosts vanish, T'Challa punches out the Reverend, and forces the clan members to surrender. In the aftermath, Kevin Trueblood, who became Monica's boyfriend during the interim where T'Challa forgot about her, publishes the news story detailing the Dragon Circle's murder of Angela Lynn, their history of corruption, and how the cult has fallen apart in the wake of the Reverend's arrest. And so ends the long, strange saga of Black Panther vs. the Clan, a story told over eight or maybe even ten issues across two, possibly three, different series by two different creative teams. Hey guys, it's Tommy Vitor. You might remember me from Keeping It 1600, the podcast I co-hosted with John Favreau, John Lovett, and Dan Pfeiffer. We started that show because we wanted to have a conversation about politics that we just couldn't find anywhere else. It helped us, it helped our listeners make sense of an election that was unlike anything we had seen before. In 2017, we want to keep that conversation going on our new podcast, Pod Save America. New episodes start Monday, and we'll continue every Monday and Thursday after that until the trade wars begin and we barter our microphones for gas and bananas. There's much more to tell you about the podcast and our plans for this year. We'll get into all of that on the first episode. But in the meantime, please subscribe to Pod Save America on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends and family to subscribe, tweet about it, whatever you want. Thank you, and we look forward to talking more soon. All right, that is that. Big question, Frank. How does this story hold up? Well, that assumes I've never read it before. To be honest with you, <laughs> I had not. I kind of was thinking maybe you hadn't read it up before either, before you know going through that 
summary you you may not have expected Did, have you read the story before this was not something you i, I read it a couple of years ago and i remembered certain parts that i didn't remember everything as as clearly as i thought i did <laughs> this part part of this surprised me when i was getting back into it yeah here's the thing just a, a, a little brief thing on me and uh this character I, I got into the character wholeheartedly because of the christopher priest series around the time of marvel knights and i still had my comic shots back then and one of my customers was a, a veteran comic reader uh, who'd been buying Black Panther comics since the 70s, uh, African-American fella. And when I expressed my interest in the character and started promoting the book heavily as I was becoming a fan of it, he lent me his copies of the Jungle Action run uh, up through the, the length of Panther's Rage, mm. uh, which is, you know, kind of a seems a high water mark. It's, it's a very well-regarded story. It, it basically showed people what Black Panther could be. And uh, is, is very dear to a lot of people's hearts from that time period. And so I read that run, and I knew that it meant a lot to him. And I enjoyed the run, but I did have a lot of issues with it. Um, and I, I kind of soft-pitched some of those complaints to him. We just debated uh, elements of it. And he agreed with me on some respects. Uh, but it still, I think, deserves to be elevated the way that it was. He didn't loan me Black Panther versus the Klan. <laughs> but I had bought uh, most of the Jungle Action run off of ebay years back and it's just that i never quite got around to reading any of the other material and in fact when you first talked about wanting to do this with me i thought that what i might do is maybe i'll get the guys together and we would cover panther's rage and then this would be sort of like a, a companion like we'd, they basically would compliment one another and, and then i actually read the story and i i remembered all the things that i had trouble with with panther's rage and virtually none of the things that made that book <laughs> good are in this. Uh, basically, virtually nothing that makes any comic book good is in this. Uh, this is one of the worst things I've ever read. <laughs> I, I'm angry at the writers of the books. I'm angry at the editors. And learning that you read this before, I'm kind of looking at you cross-eyed too, Ryan Daly. <laughs> this, I, I've read a lot of comics, right? And, and you know, I have a tendency, even stuff that people like, I'll go at pretty hard. I'll find the flaws in it. You'll think, oh, there's a great story. And then I'll go in there and I'll find all the cracks. This is like nothing but cracks. This is bad in a way that I don't know that I've ever encountered before. It's like next level awful. And I'm I'm coming off of doing a brigade podcast <laughs> where we're recording this. And it's so much worse than brigade. And it's entirely the fault of the story. This is one of the worst stories that anyone has ever committed to a comic book page. And it it, it literally it, it makes me angry that this exists. It makes me angry that these writers wasted the time and energy of some really good artists with this terrible, terrible story. This is just the worst, man. Let's get into the specifics. Why is that? Because I, I I don't hate it to the degree that you do, but I definitely think there were some problems. And even because I, I reread this after I asked you to be honest, and I, I could kind of tell, I was like, maybe he shouldn't have agreed to this. I was like, maybe, <laughs> maybe I should have picked a different story. But I wanted one with these particular things. I wanted one that talked about the clan that addressed these racism things, whether it could succeed or not. Um, <laughs> what specifically are the problems with this? Like, looking at the story. Look, my, my post, uh, Charlottesville, uh, exorcism on Twitter was, I, I, I went through and I found as many instances of Nazis appearing in comic books 
in unexpected places, you know, not the obvious stuff, Captain America and the Justice Society and things like that. I wanted to find as many instances of people that you wouldn't expect to hate Nazis just ripping the hell out of some Nazis because I wanted to see that everybody hated Nazis. I want to see Vampirella and Lady Death and Duke Nukem and just anybody I could think of that wasn't somebody you'd expect to hate Nazis to hate Nazis just to remind Nazis that everybody on the fucking earth hates you but you. And I think you guys hate yourselves a lot, too. I think that's part of the problem. If you hated yourselves less and you could actually be decent human beings, you might form healthy relationships and not feel the need to be the worst. Okay. <laughs> Which is why everybody literally you're, – you're literally the bottom. Everybody in the world hates you. The only thing anybody likes about Nazis are the fashion sense, period. <laughs> we all acknowledge they looked fucking snazzy, but that's it. That's all you got. Um, so definitely Black Panther beating up Klansmen. I should be right up there with you. I should be, you know, yeah, let, give me, let me get my seat. You know, I'm just, I'll get out my popcorn. I just can't wait to watch this. And there are some striking images. And I remember, uh, no, no pun intended, since a lot of it is Black Panther punching these dudes right in the mugs. Um, but I, like, I remember sites like Comics Alliance were like, yeah, hey, remember Black Panther versus the Klan? You know, hey, look at this. And I think it's the same thing. I think that they wanted to see the imagery the same way that people wanted to see Captain America punch Hitler back in the 40s. Uh, you want to you the iconic imagery of this, you know, the good versus evil, uh, black versus white is something that you desire that you want to see. But the actual story isn't this isn't a story. There is no story here. This is a bunch of stuff that happens. These bizarre episodes that never connect to one another. It's it's the strangest damn thing. It's like if somebody had adapted in the heat of the night. Uh, from a movie to television, which they did do, but it was adapted by the writers of like Sheriff Lobo and then directed by like Andy Warhol um, after like he'd uh, spent some time with David Lynch and decided he wanted to go a little further out there. It's like it just it's nonsense. It's just a bunch of stuff that happens that doesn't make sense. Just still coming out of nowhere that doesn't go anywhere. It's like it, when I mentioned David Lynch, it, it's all the worst things about Twin Peaks Return without any of the good stuff. It's just it, it is a comic it, it, it's a comic book as a technical term. I don't know that it actually qualifies as sequential storytelling, as, as a graphic novel or any such thing. It's just a bunch of issues that go nowhere and do nothing, and it's just so frustrating. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the Dragon Circle for like specifically. Um, I remember getting to like the first issue, and I was like, okay, maybe they're doing this because McGregor can't write about the clan or there was some editorial interference. They can't present the clan this way. So they're making up this other thing. Like why not just use the secret empire or the sons of the serpent, but he's got his own thing. But then no later on, it's like, Oh wait, the clan is in here. What is the point of having two versions? Like the dragon circle is like the splinter offshoot of the clan. And, and if it's not clear from like the synopsis, it's basically like there's the Ku Klux Klan that everybody knows about. And everybody understands what they are, what they want. But then you have this other group, the Cult of the Dragon Circle, they wear robes that are slightly different color, but it's like they've evolved and they're racially diverse, so they allow people of color, and they're more focused on a different kind of purity than, than racial or, or ethnic, and it's it, it felt to me like I was reading, like the, it was the First Order splintering out, splintering out of the Empire, but it's like, why are we introducing both of these things? Why are these things at odds? And I just, I don't know if McGregor, and I don't know like what his plan was for this thing, or if he ever like kind of knew where the story was going to go. And when Hannigan takes over the writing for the last half of it, I think he just kind of like, just tries to barrel towards some sort of conclusion. But it is, 
It's uh, oh, if, uh, if only he barreled towards some sort of conclusion. There's no barreling. There's a drunken stumble through the streets that lasts for issues. There's no barreling here, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Every because every every issue is like there's a different kind of threat. Like he brings back the wind eagle because that didn't get resolved. Then there's the whole chase and everything, and then he brings back the soul strangler, which has a very cool look. Like as an iconic villain type of thing, I think the soul strangler has some ground as like the, the ghost of a clans member all in red with like horns and fire. I think that's a cool look for a villain for a, like a, a racist, like red skull type of iconic villain. Um, nope, that's all you, Yeah, you don't think so. I do not subscribe to your philosophy on this old sucker strangler, whatever the hell that dude is. He's just another symptom of this disease. That was the story arc story arc quotation marks like so many quotation marks that i'm like chris farley flying from the 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 air quotes that i'm swilling and calling this thing a story (laughs) you don't think there's any potential for that guy as a villain no 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 no, nothing this 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 i'm not an advocate for the burning of books But if I'm going to put out a comic book that I, I could actually make that face for, it might be this because there is nothing of uh, there's nothing here besides the imagery of Black Panther beating up Klansmen. There's nothing else in this thing that has any redeeming social merit and 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 that works as a comic book that you would want to like build upon. This is the thing that you just like forget ever happened. Just like you just like you show the pictures and then that's it. All right. Well then, okay. Let's move. On. Let's move on to that topic. Then. Well, I mean, no, I mean, okay. So we can, we can, we, let's let's look at this thing for a second. Okay. For starters, I don't know if you ever seen this meme where it's a group of guys in clan outfits, but they're, they're like lavender colored or purple or something, and they're holding a sign, and it says something like uh, "Gay Communist Black Klansman for World Peace" or something like that. Mm, yeah, yeah. And then the little memes just like, like what? That's who the circle jerks or whatever the, the the offshoot guys are because there are they're multicultural like you said they're 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 and yet they're supposed to have been an offshoot from the clan how how do you offshoot from the clan <laughs> if you're not white for starters so just assuming okay so they they're recruiting people that are non-white so maybe they're like the liberal clan and I guess they're taking on the same basic look and and I guess they're getting by on having the the hoods so they can commit like vigilante acts but they're apparently committed to justice so if they're committed to justice why are you running around in like the purple version of and and where are they getting the money for these purple robes anyway? I mean, the whole thing is you're like just sewing old sheets to become a Klansman and stuff. It, just nothing about this makes sense. And then when you get to the Soul Strangler dude, right? Okay, you you're okay. You you've already done the synopsis, but it's like I have to. I'm trying to actually like unpack this in my brain that there's a story where a black dude that's in Monica Lynn's family from from post Civil War time mm-hmm. gets killed by some Klansmen because he tried to seek justice through the means that were presented to him and it was a crock and so he dies and so Monica creates this fantasy of what would have happened if a there'd been like a badass like anti-Klansman running around, sort of, kind of, I think, but not really because he was actually working with the Klan, right? So, okay, and then what happens also if her boyfriend, Black Panther, was around in those times and could beat up the guys that her... Oh, my God. (laughs) Just trying to talk about this. So, like, okay, so... But he's presented like he's a Klansman, like he's, like, super satanic Klansman fighting the Black Panther, so that's what he's positioned as. But then at the end of the story, they go through the mists of time and they apparently are on a slave plantation again. And he's a black dude who's fighting the Klansmen, but he's also fighting Black Panther. And I don't – why? I, what? <laughs> I don't understand. 
why is he ever fighting the Black Panther if he's working with the Multicultural Brigade? If he's working with the Klan, why isn't he working with the Klan? Why is he black? It, 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 nothing makes sense in this thing. Nothing. <laughs> and he looks stupid. He looks like, 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 I mean, I, I, I ghost. I don't know. what. I, I don't know. I'm broken. You broke <laughs> me with this damn thing. Oh, well, uh, somebody is somebody out there is getting a bizarre delight out of hearing your pain trying to figure out this story. And, and again, they're, they're cultists and they're running around. With not, why do they want to kill Monica Lynn? Why are they trying to stab Monica Lynn in the graveyard from the, from the very beginning? Like, if, do they know that she's Black Panther's girlfriend? If so, why would you want to raise his ire? Are they trying to kill her because she's the sister of the woman who found out about the crooked land deal? Which is a whole other thing because – this right this, this 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 story is supposed to be about like ideology right it's supposed to be about you know the black power versus the white oppression and then there's this but this land deals it's like chinatown there's like they're they're fighting over who's going to be having like the land deals the real estate and why do you have a cult with knives stabbing people in graveyards over real estate i nothing makes sense guys <laughs> i finally <laughs> found a story that you can't frank your way out of you can't no, break this down no, and find the logic it, it, Every page of this was a bludgeon to my face. I feel like I've been brutalized by this. Uh, this 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 book isn't just guilty of aesthetic crimes. We need the aesthetic crime SVU to come and take forensic evidence from me. I've, I've this book is just uh, uh. <laughs> okay. As a as just an exercise, forget about the quality of the story. Have you? I would like to see a Don McGregor script, like what it looks like, just like all typed out. Because he, <laughs> type, I, I'm, I'm picturing uh, John Doe's room in seven. People just like <laughs> take snapshots of individual sections. That becomes a script. Yeah, cause, but I mean, just like, oh my god, how much he writes! Like for like a for like an 18 page story for like one of these jungle action scripts or whatever. I it, it's got to be like a 200 page manifesto the way he writes the, the scripts. Actually, yeah. I'm looking at there are some pages. I didn't even realize that in the Marvel Masterworks hardcover, I've got that. There are pages of this. These things are, oh my man! Like, oh well, the thing is, he doesn't have like all the dialogue, but he's just like the captions and the description. This is it's insane. So Don McGregor comic books look like illustrated adaptations of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's like the it starts as pure text, and then they just throw some pictures into the bits of it. <laughs> um, but see again with with something like a hot mood, they're actually telling you like key plot points and, and they're they're concise and I mean like okay okay hold on this is this is from the first part of the story right okay a July day in 1953 or was it 54 uh, when she was eight years old or was it nine and Angela her sister Angela was ten or perhaps eleven and then lived <laughs> through these few grubby dirty summers that were the first the most satisfying summers she ever had back in the days when we thought we were immortal monica thinks and now you've died and made that a lie angela what what (laughs) i I read that to my girlfriend because i was like i was trying to show her like what i was reading and and it was just so much text and she's like oh wow there's a lot of words in that what what is he talking about And it's like he's not talking about anything he thinks he's Proust. um and it, it, it's just all this stuff that you don't need it's all this it's, it's beyond purple prose it, it's it's like it's it's oh my god it, it's just so much it's it, it's so much it's too much it's so too much it, again to go back to like the brigade comics right one thing that's bad about the brigade comics is that you've got these young kids that just want to do the coolest comics ever and so they want to have a comic book that has cable and wolverine and the punisher and just like every badass possible and it's this mentality like 
you know what this party needs? More alcohol. Without the recognition that at some point you're going to have so much alcohol that you're going to vomit and you're going to shit yourself. And then you're going to die from poisoning yourself, right? There is such a thing as too much alcohol. But there's no such thing as too much meandering bullshit coming out of Don McGregor. It's just so bad. It's so – like. Again, it makes me angry. Like when I'm reading it, it's it's so incompetent and yet so pretentious at the same time. I'm an audience member. You're this. I'm taking time out of my life to read your story, and you're going to jerk me around with was she eight or nine? Was it 1954? Shut up! I don't figure it out, and then write it down, motherfucker. Okay, I got shit to do. Oh, I love this. <laughs> and how about this? Okay, at the heart of this story, right, should be. A sister who's got a complicated relationship with her her other sister, her sister's died, and she should be dealing with the repercussions of that. That's a fucking page. I've already read you one quarter of the entirety of Monica Lynn trying to figure out what her relationship with her dead sister is. And then that just gets dropped like it's nothing for the most part. And instead we spend all this time with her family who are like like shell-shocked and they're like playing solitaire and cooking and speaking in these horrific generalities of what Southern black people would want to talk about and be doing with their lives. It's it, it's just uh, – I, I don't think the writer or the editor know what they're doing and they're just sort of just – wigging it the whole time for 22 pages a month over and over again and they never figure it out <laughs> now i want to keep going do you have any thoughts about true blood the detect- the journalist the white guy oh geez well how about the fact that okay black panther gets brainwashed he forgets his entire relationship with monica lynn which means he would essentially have to have forgotten much of his time with the avengers right because that relationship runs for most of his time as an avenger nobody mentions it nobody think nothing half of it and so in the years between the beginning of the story and the resolution of the story, which, again, Black Panther has apparently lost years of his life. Prior to, he's lost a decade, basically, of his life, right? And, and so in the meantime, Monica Lynn hooks up with this reporter dude. He's just some reporter from Georgia. So she just stays there. She's like, she's, I thought she was like a singer, and she'd gone to New York to be a big star. And so her sister dies, and she just decides, okay, I'm just going to live in Georgia now and hook up with this reporter who's unemployed, by the way. I mean, <laughs> the point of in the later stories, he's not even working anymore. So it's like you went from the king of the Wakandas to Kevin Trueblood, Johnny, you know, writer proxy over here. You know, this is like um, Don McGregor's Terry Long over yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. I was just <laughs> thinking the same thing. Ah, again, everything like if you've read comics for a long time, right? And you read your Marv Wolfman comics. Who read this, by the way? And I, I, I'm not going to forget that ever, ever. Black Mark for the rest of his life that he edited these stories, uh, or or Chris Claremont, where these guys would just be noodling and they'd be taking all these liberties because they'd been doing the books for 12 years and 16 years, and it's like, yeah, this is kind of my place. I'm just going to do whatever I want to, and you guys are going to go along with it because I'm king shit, right? This is every indulgence, every eccentricity of those kind of guys. But with, with none of the cream, with none of the, with the good stuff, it's just nothing but the eccentricity. And again, it, it's like imagine a comic book series that co-stars Terry Long. It's not something where you have to deal with them for a few pages then you're back to the Titans action. It's a book starring, co-starring Terry Long. Just imagine that, people. I'm, 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 I'm freaking – I feel like I'm Charlton Heston screaming that Soylent Green is people. It, don't ever read this book for God's sake. There's nothing wrong. 
And I know, I know I have a reputation. I know that I'm the guy who can take Watchmen and start tearing it to pieces, right? But seriously, you don't need this in your life. You just, I'm, I'm screaming. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking, uh, 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 Pascal at the end of Pet Cemetery. So <laughs> no, don't. That's how bad this is. This is just next level worst thing you can read. Don't do this to yourself. But think of the children. <laughs> It is a bad story. I'm not. I'm not disguised. It's it's really bad. The art is pretty. Um, no, and that, again, that's part of what makes me so angry, is that there is not any bad art in this arc. Uh, Billy Graham did fantastic work in Panther's Rage. He write he draws the first few uh, issues of the this story arc. It's such a good looking book. It makes you want to read it. It invites you. Uh, it's not Leatherface with a chainsaw. It's Ted Bundy. You think it's going to be okay. You think this looks pretty good. This, this, how badly could this go wrong? And it, it it's it's just the lure. It's the honeypot. The art is the honeypot. <laughs> okay. All right. There's doing some good work in here. Uh, on the back end, you get early Jerry Bingham. Uh, Bingham's uh, it's only the very last chapter where he starts to really look like Jerry Bingham. Before that, he's very clearly kind of a Mike Grell clone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still good looking stuff. There's nothing. If you're a Bronze Age Marvel fan, you're cracking this book up, you're flipping through it, and you're like, oh, I can read this. This is going to be good. I, I, I'll get into this. I, if nothing else, I'll get by on the art. No, you will not. It will just invest you like something that's really bad you can kind of get off on uh how incompetent it is how how just like how wrongheaded it is it's like the so bad it's good but this is just good enough that you're keenly aware of for panel after panel caption after captioning just how bad it is it just makes you super conscious of how awful every freaking word is in this thing yeah uh, that should probably be the last word on the story itself I don't think I can add much or defend anything about it. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't going to try that hard anyway. And clearly, there's no point. Um, Again, but, but speaking of no point, though. Okay, how about the part where they keep showing you that the the sister was killed at two o'clock? You can tell because the bullet hits the clock, right? Mm-hmm. And they just show you that image over and over again. Nothing comes of it. Okay. Um, you've got the guy that she was dating and he was like, he thinks that there's something up, and they bring him in for questioning him later on and stuff. Does anything happen with that dude? No. Okay, you got the sheriff, and the sheriff is actually kind of a decent guy, and he's trying to just trying to balance out the problems between the clan and other people in this small southern town. So you think, well, maybe he's going to be a racist, or maybe he's going to turn out to be the mastermind of it all because he seems like he's an okay guy, and just nothing. He's just a guy who's there to deliver some exposition, and he's just gone. Nothing to, in this story adds up to anything. Oh, and hey, did, did we mention already Monica Lim's dad is part of the anti-Klansman guys? And this doesn't happen until like the last chapter, and it still doesn't mean anything because it doesn't matter that he was there. I mean, if somebody tries to kill him at one point, I guess it's a way to have him around at the conclusion of the story to try to make it seem like he ever had a purpose in this thing. But no, his daughter's dead and his wife and himself. You never get any kind of sense of why this is happening. The, the second issue, okay, but the early issues of the story arc, right? At no point does Black Panther remove his costume. He's grocery shopping in a small Georgia town in full Panther regalia. You can't, you cannot objectively tell that the Black Panther is a person of African descent until several issues into the story because he never, you never see his bare skin. It is such a bizarre, so many bizarre. This is nothing but bizarre, nonsensical choices. And 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 he gets into a fight with the cops, right? But they're like New York motorcycle cops in Georgia. Why? Has Billy Graham never seen like small town redneck cop type people before? Where where do all these guys come from with their their helmets and their batons and stuff? And uh, oh my god, there's just so much bad about this. So much bad. 
Okay. Let's let's leave it then. <laughs> Think about as I kind of one of the reasons the the inspiration the whole reason why I picked this story not thinking about the actual value of the story itself and more the the symbology and the visuals of it that we pointed out is the KKK is the clan a good foil for a character like Black Panther um are are they good villains for a Black Panther story or i mean the fact that he's not an american hero does that cause some some kind of disjointedness uh, I, i'm just i mean what do you think? I, I like should I, I? I'll just simplify it like to that question: Is the KKK a good villain or a good proxy villain for the Black Panther? No, oh. no. Again, they're two. They're 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 small potatoes. These are like redneck dudes in sheets with torches. Okay, you could do maybe maybe a Luke Cage story off of that. Um, it would be kind of cool to see a guy who might have at one point had to be afraid of these dudes just sort of like start wiping them out. Yeah, I mean, I, again, this is a Puerto Rican dude, but uh, somebody at, at the White Tiger level could fight the clan and be, be kind of interesting. Daredevil could fight the clan. I, that would be kind of cool, actually, because you, you he could be trying to fight him in the courtroom and in the, the bayou. You know, that would be all right. Black Panther, to come to the United States and fight the clan, it's got nothing to do with who he is, what he's about. It's another one of these instances where white writers decide that because he's black, he's African-American, and they're not the same thing. Mm. And this dude is a king. He is from a technologically advanced country. He beat up the entire Fantastic Four. And he's fighting some redneck dudes? What's that got to do with him, man? And what's worse, he's losing. <laughs> this is Okay, look. He gets captured a couple times. It's awful. This, this is, and this is a major problem that I've got, okay? I've got my issues with Don McGregor, if you couldn't tell already. And I had my issues with Panther's Rage. And here's the thing, okay? This white dude is writing this black character, right? And, and it's something that happened a lot in, in comics. They, they, you've you got a guy who wants to do something different, and he wants to be something bold and innovative. And so one of the first thing they do is they decide they're going to write a black character, right? And then they decide, and you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to make the stories like really violent and really show the, the grueling toll this violent takes on my hero. And so I'm going to do my purple prose and tell you about how every cut and every gash and the aching in the body. And I'm just going to spend page after pages telling you about how tortured black Panther is. He's having this fight. And it's one thing when it's in Wakanda and he's fighting people from his own country. And you know, yeah, it kind of sucks that the black dudes getting totaled in that way in a way that you don't get to see a guy like Captain America ever get totaled. But at least he's in his element. At least he's fighting his villains. Uh, and and you don't. It's it, there's nobody to establish scale between Panther and Venomamum or Lord Carnage or something like that. But when the Black Panther's fighting a bunch of clansmen, we know what the a bunch of clansmen we can do. We know because if Captain America jumps into that group of people, he's going to beat the hell out of them in like a few panels because he's going to go full on Kirby and knocking dozens of them off all the way. In this book. Panther gets beaten, he's tied to a flaming cross, his skin burns, he's beaten again, he's, he's, he's uh, brainwashed by them. This whole story is about him getting beaten by white dudes, just random, stupid, unskilled, technologically inferior white dudes, and doing it in the most grotesque detail, with, with, you know, in the most excruciating of detail. At what point is that not unintentional, unconscious racism itself? It's great that you've got creators who want to try to showcase black characters, but when it's okay to take those black characters and just just treat them in this manner and treat them essentially as being far inferior to their their white counterparts, because you don't see even Daredevil 
doesn't go through the kind of stuff that Black Panther does at any point. Not even during Born Again did Frank Miller take Daredevil physically to the places where Don McGregor took Black Panther in issue after issue after issue. Why is it okay to tell those kind of stories, to, to have Black Panther humbled by such low-stakes threats? Why is that okay? It was okay in the 1970s when there weren't any other options, but looking at it 30 and 40 years later, that makes me very angry too because I don't, I don't care what the intentions were, the stated intentions were. Ultimately, the effect is you make Black Panther lesser so much lesser than he should be. And you'd make his stories about him surviving instead of triumphing. And if you've got superhero stories that are all about power fantasies and you're taking people that are already disempowered and you give them their hero, their kind of hero, and you beat the shit out of this guy month after month, fuck you. Just, I don't, I don't care that you're giving this guy a showcase. You're giving him a showcase in which to humiliate him. This is fucking torture porn. I'm, I, it makes me angry that this exists. Because you're doing the exact opposite of the stated intention. When you see Black Panther kicking everybody's ass on the cover, and then you spend issue after issue with this nonsense, it's, I'm sorry, it's irredeemable. So that's why I don't want these stories to exist. I don't want this book to exist. I want a few cool images to be out there. I'm sorry that some very talented artists wasted their time on this stuff. Just as a for instance, too. Okay, an entire issue of this arc takes place as a fantasy of Monica Lynn. That Black, if Black Panther had been around uh, uh, post-Reconstruction, he would have beat up the Klansmen, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem with a story like that is it supposes that if you just had one black hero show up, you could have turned things around for the entire you know, nation of African Americans, right? If you just had one guy stand up and just get it done, how is that not victim-blaming? How is that not saying, oh, well, if you just had one of your guys that could, that could be like a minor league hero the way that he's being treated compared to a, a captain, a Spider-Man, and a Daredevil even. The unintended subtext is not what you think it is. It's, it's, it's stomach turning. And, yeah, and the, the also, message is further confused in, because in her flashback, in her imagining, the art changes, not, not subtly at all. Like her depiction of her grandfather or great, great, whoever, her distant ancestor, it looks different, looks stronger. So. Yeah. And that just – and that even forgets the part where the entire story is a fantasy of Monica Lynn's mm-hmm. and that's a, a chapter in this book. You're, you're going to spend a chapter of this book with Monica Lynn having this weird fantasy. It's not it's, – <sighs> I can't tell you how relieved I was when I hit issue 23 with the John Bolton cover <laughs> cracked open and realized that it was a, a inventory story. It was a reprint story. <laughs> uh, know that I was having at least one issue break from this nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew as I was asking the question, because it was a stumbling point that I got to, I was like, while I'm reading this, I'm like, I, I thought this would be a good fit, you know, seeing Black Panther kick the shit out of some Klansmen, but I was like, this doesn't work. I was like, this isn't, He's not, they're not good villains for him. And it's just, it's not, he's not, he's not an American, he's not, a, he's not an African American hero. He's not the icon fighting uh, that struggle. He's nothing about that. I was like, you could have Falcon or Luke Cage or Monica Rambeau or any of a dozen, you know, African American Marvel superheroes who are based in our country kind of fighting this fight. But. Black Panther like has no reference for that. Like Wakanda had never been conquered. Like that's just it's so it's just I don't know that that disconnect. I thought it would be a really cool thing, and then even as I'm reading, it, I'm like, no, this doesn't work at all. So yeah, and uh, Windigle. I, I just, <laughs> yeah. 
Remember, remember the whole thing where it's like he, he's working using stolen Wakandan technology similar to what the Falcon had, and then they just killed him, and then they never mention that again? <laughs> Nothing in this thing works. Nothing. You're, you're, you're paying attention to details. You think it's going to amount to something, and it never amounts to anything. It's so frustrating. Any final thoughts on the story before we move on? I, I think I could probably do another half hour on this. I don't think that your listeners need that. And I, I really, I don't want to put this in their brain. I just want the takeaway message from this is that Black Panther's cool. Go read some good Christopher Priest Black Panther stories and just don't ever even think about these tales. Just don't even, just pretend they never freaking happened. Like we should have done. Yeah, we should have. You know, I had, you know, seven or eight months to find a better Black Panther story and chose not to for whatever reasons. Um, well, no, no, no. I mean, uh, again, symbolically, dead on. Symbolically, but again, it's just like when uh, they try to have Captain America fight Al-Qaeda after 9-11, and it's like, oh, yeah, that should be really great. And then you read the John May Reber Captain America run, you're like, I've never seen Captain America go so far off the rails so fast and mm-hmm. produce so many stories that nobody liked, nobody wanted to read for like, what, three or four years that went on? Yeah. So this is like if, if if you thought that that was bad, if you had issues with that, if you thought it was a waste for John Cassidy to have committed his Captain America run to telling stories that people thought were just kind of icky and like ill considered, uh, that stuff is like cherry. That stuff is 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 a masterpiece compared to this. <laughs> hey y'all, it's Ira Madison the Third. You may know me as a culture writer at the Daily Beast or from dragging people on Twitter. Starting in January 2018, I have a new podcast, Keep It, from the folks at Crooked Media. Each week, I'll be hanging out with some of my friends to discuss the intersection of pop culture and politics. We'll also have some one-on-one interviews with some very famous people if they choose to respond to my Twitter DMs. And we'll even play some fun games that'll make you laugh, think, and help you reclaim your time. Think of it as Fox and Friends, but without the racism. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, your Zune. I don't know. Wherever the hell you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, what are some other catchphrases? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Live long and prosper. I caramba. Subscribe to Keep It With Ira now. You are the weakest link. <laughs> Goodbye. Are you looking forward to the Black Panther movie? Still, yeah. Yeah, okay. uh, I... Oh crap! I forgot to buy. Uh, I need to buy tickets. I, I'm not oh, sure. Yeah. I need. I can actually get. T- I wanted. I wanted to see it opening night. I'd really love it if Black Panther sets a record for for Marvel Studios, given that it was doing so well compared to Civil War. I really wanted to see that Thursday night. I need to. I, I'm, I'm glad we talked about this. I need to go and buy my tickets. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, it's it's. I feel like it's it's not only am I as a fan compelled to see that. I I feel like a sort of moral imperative too. I want to make this a thing that happens. And if I see it Thursday night and it's great. Then that gives me, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I got uh, plenty of options to like just keep racking those numbers up if it's awesome. So I've I've got the best hopes for this. Yeah, this has been my most anticipated movie since I think October 2014 was when Kevin Feige officially announced it. He had like their Marvel thing at the El Capitan where they unveiled pretty much all of their Phase Three slates, and that's when they actually introduced Chadwick Boseman as as T'Challa and said he would be in Civil War. But they said, yeah. 
no, I am I am really excited. And then everything I've heard after that, I liked how he was introduced in in Civil War. I liked the depiction. Um, I I liked the director. I haven't seen Fruitvale Station, but I loved Creed. That was my second favorite movie of 2015. So when I found out that he was doing this one, I got really excited. Everything about the cast looks great. The first uh, the first teaser trailer when they dropped that, I thought it looked terrific. I mean, the the trailer for Avengers Infinity War was a really good trailer, and it's it's easy to see that and get really hyped up, but still, even more than that, this is the movie that I've been wanting to see for such a long time. I am really excited. I'm looking forward to Black Panther more than Infinity War, and I'm looking forward to both of them, but I, I still have not been blown away by the trailers, you know, like I, I wanted to. I've actually been kind of like, oh, man, you know, I, I really wanted that to happen. But for me, I feel like what's going to happen is, like, Ragnarok built me so much, built me up so much that when I finally saw it, it couldn't really meet the expectations that the trailers had given me for that movie. Um, where with Black Panther, I think that they've held so much stuff back. I, I still don't know what's going to happen in this movie. I know that uh, Michael B. Jordan's going to play Eric Killmonger and that he's going to have a fight with Black Panther and uh, Claw's going to be involved in some ways and Everett K. Ross is going to be in there. But I don't know what else is happening in this movie. You know, I, it's, it's, and I'm loving that because I love when I can go into a movie and just like be completely broadsided, not know what's going to happen. Uh, one of my great disappointments with Age of Ultron was I, they pretty much showed everything in the trailers yeah. and there wasn't a lot left once you actually spent two and a half hours watching the movie. This, I think, it, it, it has the potential of just like I, have, I don't know where it's going to go. I'm more excited because I don't know that. I'm more excited by the mystery. I'm more excited that they didn't give it all away. And having seen so many production images from this and the costumes, it's it's gonna, I think it's going to just be a, a sumptuous feast for the eyes. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen that in the trailers yet. I think they're saving it for the movie experience. And I, I'm so looking forward to that. Uh, and I know uh, it just does my heart good to know this is finally happening. And, and it's it, I think it's probably the best time. I don't know if Marvel would have gotten it right. Even in 2008, I think that they needed time to kind of let this kind of simmer and figure out what they were going to do with this guy and get the right people to and and an extraordinary cast. Um, You know, this this could be like the next great like Marvel franchise. This could be the thing that like takes Marvel to that next level. And I'm not trying to put too many hopes on it. I'm not trying to make it build it up too much. It's just that. I, the potential is there, and I, I'm just looking forward to whatever it is. I, I, as long as it's good, it's just like with Wonder Woman. If I'm if I if I go in there and it's not a complete disaster, then I'm already winning. And if it actually makes me feel good, if it lifts my spirits, if it gives me chills, then it's it's above and beyond what it needed to be. I just needed to be solid. Mm-hmm. If it's anything better than that, I'm gonna be a happy man. The one aspect that I'm I'm looking at from the trailers and just kind of like hearing that, and I, this doesn't even bother me. Uh, it's just kind of a thing that kind of like makes me like kind of cock my head. Is they're really emphasizing T'Challa's sister Shuri, which I know. I mean, in the comics, I'm pretty sure she's a half sister because his mother Ramonda is uh, is a stepmom. Um, but I I doubt they'll even go into that because it's it's not a necessary detail in the movie. Um, it's very complicated, and right. I still I, I I have trouble keeping track of all that. There's a lot of family stuff related to Black Panther that it's hard to keep track of. Uh, there's and uh, you know she was added in the what late eighties in Marvel Comics. Yeah, then? yeah. And then so. the sister wasn't introduced until the Reggie Hudlin right. series. Um, but I'm actually glad for that because I always go back to when I had my shop and I, I would have action figures on the wall, and the little kid would point at the Martian Manhunter and say Hulk. And would point at Black Panther and say Batman, mm-hmm. and you know what? Batman doesn't have a sister, and yeah. so everything you can do to make sure that people know the difference between Black Panther and 
everybody else. Right. So adding the sister, adding that girl power, um, you know, I, I'm all for it. Plus the door melage are oh, freaking oh, awesome. Oh, oh, so yeah, knowing that yeah. you're going to have at least a minimum, bare minimum of like three really kick-ass uh, women in this movie. Uh, and I have, a, I have a feeling Angela Bassett as as Queen Ramonda will be not necessarily physically imposing, but I trust her to have a pretty commanding and good performance. Uh, so I think, I mean, you could have four really, really strong female characters in the movie. Um, but the one thing about Shuri is they're really leaning into her being the scientist and sort of like almost almost Tony Stark level brilliant in terms of like scientific innovation, which I'm all for. I like that. I just hope they don't dumb down T'Challa to make her, her look smarter by comparison, which you know I, I still want to understand that he's he's a brilliant scientist in his own right. Um, if she's smarter, that's fine. I just don't want him to be kind of average intelligence. I, I do want to know that he is tactically, scientifically brilliant in all these ways, so... Again, you don't want it to be kind of like the Fantastic Four movie that came out, where hey, Johnny Storm, uh, the guy who's you know there more before his physical prowess. Let's make him the black guy. It's like, oh man, really? Uh, uh, so yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think you really have to go out of your way to show though. If she's a scientist and you spend a bunch of time with her doing the science stuff, I don't think that has to diminish Black Panther. And I know that Panther's brilliant, but I think that as much as I like seeing him do science stuff to, again, separate him from other people, Marvel is a universe that's filled with science people. You've got your Richards and your Tony Starks, and so he has to be compared to all those guys. By making him a guy who's more about strategy, by making him a guy who's more about the politics, he can still be brilliant. And obviously he does have the science smarts as well, but that's not his focus because he's got to be a king. A king can't spend all their time researching and, and doing all the stuff that is involved with making technological breakthroughs and the like. So he can have the same brilliance, just be directed in a different fashion. And that doesn't have to diminish him. Uh, they can, they both can just be awesome, exceptional people. And until relatively recently, they had a lack of strong female super scientists, uh, which is to say they had like none, maybe. I mean, if you remembered that Bobby Morse before she became Mockingbird was a scientist, but short of that, and they, they've really done a lot more recently with stepping up kind of their, their female scientist parts. So, yeah, uh, like I said, I, I'm really excited for the movie. I, I think it's going to be great. I'll be there opening night. Um, I will try to see it multiple times that weekend, which isn't as easy as it would have been, but yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited for it. I like the character. I wish I brought you on for a better story, but I'm glad that we could at least discuss this, if only so that we're the only people who ever have to talk about this. Um, and I didn't even really say that much, but I, I it's people. You you heard me do the synopsis. You the story the synopsis. is yeah. you did enough. Yeah. That was that was uh, that that was your cross to bear. My cross was to contextualize this nonsense. Right, right. And it's yeah, it's I uh, I was crossing my fingers that maybe you would find something better to talk about and I, I that was just that was naive of me because <laughs> there was there was nothing really uh, like you said uh, so much of the story is irredeemable um pretty you, art you and I'll post a few pages on the website just so you can see the pretty art but uh nobody else ever needs to think about or podcast about or read this particular story well and the the truth is the things that I found objectionable about this book are prevalent throughout Black Panther comic publishing. A bunch of the guys who worked on this character have a tendency to do a lot of the same stuff that I'm complaining about here. This is the nadir. This is the worst of, of all that stuff that I've been exposed to. Mm -hmm. uh, 
God hope there is anything even worse than this out there that I haven't read yet. Um, I'd much rather direct my ire and, and ideally raise some awareness of these problems that were with right, white writers writing this character in this context because Don McGregor and, to a lesser degree, Ed Hannigan deserve the shade because they've produced a pretty awful story that should have been so much better that had other talents and, and characters that could have elevated it and the writers just completely failed at their jobs. But they also created a, a case study for what not to do with the Black Panther and it's things that were done for years and years with this character that hurt that character that limited his abilities. Um, I think there's some, some sub- subtext there. I think there's some stuff that you can writ large from the microcosm of these stories upon even greater society. It's one of those things where you, you can come at something with the best intentions and state you know your pure intentions and unintentionally do some stuff that's really wrong-headed and damaging. Um, and I, I think that this is, again, if you want to know what not to do with the Black Panther story, this is an excellent place to start. <laughs> I think you actually just described this actual episode. I came at this with very good intentions and, and just happened to pick a shitty, shitty, <laughs> shitty story. <laughs> That's, that does not celebrate the you, best you, of Black Panther. Yeah, you went about it in just the worst possible way. <laughs> no, but but again, this is the bitter. You you listen to this episode and then you go watch the movie. Yeah. And yeah. and if even if the movie's deeply flawed, think about how much better it is than what <laughs> you didn't experience. Because if you if you didn't read these stories, you've already been blessed for the day. You're welcome, You're, Ryan Coogler. <laughs> the, the, may, may the Panther God be with you. <laughs> All right, Frank, thank you for joining me on this. Uh, you know, I shouldn't even thank you. I am sorry. But where else can uh, people find you on the podcastosphere in our community? Uh, Rules Fine Podcasts. You know, we, we've got a bunch of them. Uh, some of them are good. Some of them are pretty awful. Uh, you know, you, you take your chances, you roll your dice. Just pick what, if you see something you think you'd like, uh, try to listen to that. And uh, you can always do double speed. You know, you don't have to, well, not on our podcast. We put <laughs> double speed for you. So, you know, at least you'll be... You'll be able to determine how much you like or hate us pretty quickly, I think. I love the new uh, the one song each or one track each show. I don't know what the brainchild of that or how that originated, but that's a good that's a good show. And we need to get you on some of those too. Uh, uh, yeah, so I, I've been meaning. You know, I, I didn't I talk to you about bringing a song or two on one of these. Things? Uh, you I, you floated uh, as an image, but I, I I didn't take it seriously. But if you do, <laughs> if you seriously watch her, yeah, I'll, no. I'll think so. <laughs> All right, well, uh, folks. Thank you very much for indulging this weird exercise, whether or not this was a success or not. I don't know. But, um, yeah, go see Black Panther when it comes out, whether it's already out or coming out soon. Uh, determines will be determined on how soon I can edit this. Um, but uh, enjoy, and as always, thank you for listening to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly with Diablo Frank. Thank you very much, and good night.
Corrupt a man's heart with a gift That's how you find out who you're dealing with A smart percentage you I'm building with I want the credit if I'm losing or I'm winning On my mama, that's the realest shit yeah. let's talk about If you'd like to read much better comics where Black Panther fights much more worthy villains, three issues I would recommend are Avengers Volume 3, Issue 70. This is the climax of the Red Zone story arc written by Jeff Johns with art by Olivier Coipel. Black Panther fights the Red Skull, taking his gloves off and vowing to break the Skull's jaw with his black-skinned fists. It's an awesome moment and, spoilers, T'Challa makes good on his threat. Some more recent hits... Check out Secret Wars Issue 9. This is the recent Secret Wars series from 2015, written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Isad Ribic. Issue 9 is, once more, the climactic chapter of the series. It sees Black Panther, armed with the Infinity Gauntlet, go head-to-head with Doctor Doom, who has the godlike powers of the Beyonder. It is an epic worthy of checking out. And finally, check out Black Panther Issue 7 from the current series. The issue is written by Tanisi Coates and illustrated by Chris Sprouse. It's right in the middle of Coates' first story arc. In this chapter, T'Challa has allowed himself to be captured by Ezekiel Stane, who is formerly an Iron Man villain, when his backup arrives in the form of the crew. Anyway, there's a moment where T'Challa takes on Zeke Stane, and T'Challa has been captured. Well, he allowed himself to be captured, so his hands are bound behind his back. And Zeke Stane is like, come on, you're going to fight me with both hands literally tied behind your back? And T'Challa is like, yup, and proceeds to kick his ass. Good stuff. Check those all out. I don't remember you cursing a single goddamn time. (laughs) (laughs) Did I? I don't remember you saying a single curse word. Not even when you were talking about Trump. I don't remember you cursing at all. Oh. I don't know. I'll I'll insert some. I'll drop some f bombs. <laughs> it'll it'll be it'll be my new like Shazam thundercrack thing. I'll just, like, every, every time we every time we say a certain thing, it's just fuck you. <laughs> you just do it the one time really loud, you know, and just fuck. <laughs> just drop it in. <laughs>